Good morning, everyone. Friends, as we get closer to Holy Week and the Paschal festivities, the scriptures, and we will see this certainly in Holy Week, they become very dense and uh, they can uh, have a heavy burden to them, the tone. And our first reading, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to a people who um, are disgruntled, and uh, they are definitely shared people, um, but they're disgruntled because their perception of God, their and uh, what they expect, their expectation of God for them has not been fulfilled. They expect God is going to do this and this and this and this for them. And because he hasn't done it the way they thought, they're disgruntled and they're unhappy. And Jeremiah speaks to them and the response of God is, I will make another covenant then with you which is very generous on God's part. People are complaining, and he responds with, okay, I'll make another covenant. Ultimately, as we understand it, that new covenant, as Jesus would say, the new covenant is in my blood, would be made through Jesus. And uh, everything that God said he would do, he does. Everything that he is to be faithful about, he is faithful about. And uh, sometimes our expectation and understanding is different. And that's what got the people in that position. That's why they grumbled also in the desert with Moses. Here's our second reading. St. Paul um, tells us that through the suffering uh, of Jesus Christ, it became a source of eternal life for us. And uh, although sometimes it's hard to fully understand uh, his words, as it's put forth, because it, people get caught up and uh, he learned obedience by the suffering. What Paul is ultimately getting at is that uh, no matter what happened, Jesus remained obedient to the Father. No matter what happened in this world, he remains obedient to the Father. Nothing deterred him. Nothing got in his way. And ultimately, this is how we understand it. And uh, through his suffering and death and rising, uh, we have eternal life, and this will become absolutely key and crucial uh, as a thought in Christianity, not a thought, but the, the very way of Christianity. Our gospel is set uh, in Jerusalem during one of, uh, one of the most important feasts of the Jewish um, people, Passover. It was a feast uh, that uh, called for anybody who was in reasonable proximity of the temple to come. So if you were close to the temple, you were expected to come and to uh, offer your prayers and to, be, and to partake of the festivities that followed. And this is the reason why I suspect uh, the, the Greeks are there. They were told in John's Gospel that uh, they're going to go and offer some prayers uh, based on the other evangelists also. Uh, they're there for the festivities. And, uh, and we are told... Uh, they say something. Uh, they go to Jesus' followers, his disciples, his apostles, and say, we wish to see Jesus. Now, with John, uh, to see has a particular meaning. Um, to see is to understand. And to understand what? Uh, to understand his ways. Remember, Jesus would say, if you see me, you see the Father. Jesus was not talking about his beard and his hair, right? He's saying, if you 
when you see me and everything that I do and everything I believe and everything I say and everything I do, you know the Father. So for John to, these Greeks say, we want to see this Jesus. To see Jesus, the way we understand is to understand him. To understand him is to know him. To know him then is to enter into relationship with him. To enter into relationship with him means you receive the graces that he came for. And this becomes crucial for John. And, but um, there's something else going on. The Greeks probably have heard about the miracles of Jesus. And my friends, the miracles of Jesus do not give you salvation. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say Jesus did miracles so that you would come to know him. That you would come to know him, to believe in him. John doesn't even call miracles, he calls them signs. Jesus did signs because it was fun. No, so that you would come to understand, to know him, to believe what he said. And ultimately, to understand this, this main event, this huge event that is happening. And my friends, and I want to be careful uh, when I say um, about the, the miracles. Now remember, um, people were drawn to Jesus for many, many reasons, and um, it is likely that the Greeks heard about him, and like I said, they wanted to see, not in the way John would want us to understand that, but to maybe, maybe he's going to perform something. And um, my friends, that's not why Jesus came. And uh, we need this event that's going to happen. This is uh, He's come to give us life eternal. This is part of what's going on in this gospel. And uh, when I say that the miracles that Jesus performed do not have the power to do that is because, uh, do you remember uh, Jesus, um, he gave sight to the blind man, Bartimaeus. Did that give him eternal life? No. To know Jesus, to see Jesus. Remember what that means? To understand him, then ultimately to believe in him. That does. And... Um, the lepers came. Remember, Jesus healed the lepers. Did that give them salvation? No, those lepers would eventually die. The scripture zones, but they died. So the miracle, the healing of the leprosy didn't. Jesus gives them salvation. And then Jesus does all kinds of things. But then remember his best friend, Lazarus? Jesus pulls him back from wherever he was. He died. He would die again. So the miracle of Jesus pulling him back, that doesn't give him salvation. Jesus' Paschal mystery gives salvation. This is why he has come. And it's really important for us to understand this. And, but um, for all of you who study Old Testament, um, there's something else going on. And uh, uh, there's a prophecy that's being fulfilled in Jesus' words. Because uh, um, Jesus makes a claim earlier uh, that uh, he would draw all people to himself. And the Greeks approach Philip um, 
from my studies, it's likely they went to Philip because uh, Philip has a Greek name. They're Greek. So, you know, they're, oh, he has a Greek name. Let's go talk to him about getting an audience with this rabbi. And uh, it is likely then that Philip spoke Greek also. And uh, so Philip takes him to Andrew, and Andrew also has a Greek name. And he also comes from that same region. Um, so uh, the Greeks feel comfortable talking to him. And um, re recall earlier, Andrew introduces people to Jesus. He does this with uh, Nathaniel. He does this with his own brother, Simon, uh, who would become Peter. But uh, he also, uh, just before the miracle of the loaves and the fish, um, he introduces the boy to Jesus. And uh, my friends, so one of the things about that is Jesus is testing him because Jesus says, where are we going to get food to feed everybody? And what, do, what does Andrew say? I don't know. I don't know. He's been with Jesus, and he doesn't know. He's seen Jesus do many, many things, but he doesn't know. And there's the boy with a couple of loaves and bread, and he says, well, that boy has some loaves and breads, but I don't know what you're going to do with that. <laughs> really? <laughs> Bring the boy over. So now we have that same apostle bringing Greeks to Jesus, these travelers. And we hear, um, we want to see Jesus. And the scriptures say, and Andrew Go to Jesus and say, some guys want to see you. And Jesus says something that seems really strange. The hour has come for the Son of Man. In my head, it's not in scriptures, but I'm picturing Philip and Andrew. So you want to see the Greeks or you don't want to see the Greeks? because we don't understand what you're saying to us. Now, it's not in there, but, you know, those movies in my head. I'm just, you want to or no? What is this talk about this? Well, my friends, uh, Philip and Andrew are Jewish, and they understand Old Testament, so there's another piece happening here. Uh, in the Old Testament, um, there's a prophecy that the Son of Man, from the book of Daniel it comes from, says uh, the Son of Man will overpower what we understand as superpowers of the day. Uh, he will overpower and he will come to rule the world. The superpowers of their time way back would have been the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, and the Greeks. You guys aren't seeing the humor in this, are you? I'm giving it to you. I understand why 8.30 didn't get it, because they were still asleep. You guys have no excuses. There's something even funnier. Oh, it's not funny. It is funny, uh, at least in my head. Daniel 
was particularly about the Greeks. And he said, and those Greeks are really mean-spirited. <laughs> Greeks are coming to Jesus. You guys don't see the humor in this? So here's the thing. The Son of Man was to appear. He was going to take sovereignty over the world. He was going to usher in a new kingdom, the Son of Man that Daniel speaks about. And this person would open up all things, especially God's kingdom, to everyone, including the Greeks. And here comes part of the problem. The same problem that the people of Jeremiah's time had. The expectation about something. The people of Jesus' time expected the Messiah to be a king and a warrior. And based on Daniel, he was going to come in and he was going to overthrow the government of the time, which would have been the Romans. Jesus didn't do that, did he? He didn't do it. And that's why they're so confused. And um, here Jesus is saying the hour has come for the man to be glorified. And uh, they're confused by what he's saying. They don't understand it. That's why I... I see the humor in it. Jesus, you don't want to talk to the Greeks, you don't. We didn't. What is this? What, and why, why? It gets worse because uh, he says, now it's time for me to be glorified. And you can see the apostles like, yeah. And then Jesus says, but uh, the grain of wheat has to fall and die. No. And some of them walked away. The Greeks likely walked away. Because they're like, we don't know what he's talking about. They wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have understood. Many of the Jews and some of the earlier disciples couldn't understand this idea of a suffering Messiah. Even though they had it in their scriptures. A great prophet named Isaiah spoke about it. Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 52. He went on and on about the Son of Man and about the suffering servant of God. And how important this would be. The people of Jesus' time wanted no part of this. They didn't want any part of suffering. Uh, they didn't want to have to lay down their lives. Because they were watching. This is what Jesus was telling them. I'm going to lay down my life. And anyone who wants to come after me has to do the same thing. When Jesus says hate your life, he doesn't mean to beat up yourself. He's talking about you cannot accept the ways of the world. They are inordinate. Don't do this. This is what he means. The people of his time didn't understand that's not the Messiah they wanted. They wanted the one that Daniel was talking about. Yet Jesus accepted everything that the Paschal mystery was to be his suffering, his passion, his death, his resurrection. My friends, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. So this human part becomes crucial. Human death, because dying was an integral part, and it is painful, and Jesus is not detoured by it. Jesus demonstrated absolute love and confidence and trust and obedience in the Father. As foretold, Jesus' sacrifice, his death would bear much fruit, destroying the real enemy, sin, Satan, death. 
Once this happens, Christ reconciles all things in himself and restores our relationship, our ability with the Father. And that is why he came. And although John sees the Garden of Gethsemane different from the other evangelists, the other evangelists, and we'll hear it during Holy Week, they say Jesus has so much anxiety in the garden that he actually, his sweat turns to blood. John sees it a little bit differently. He just says, Jesus is troubled. John by no means minimizes the suffering. He understands. Again, John is post-resurrection. Everything he sees is post-resurrection. So he understands this is hurts. This is suffering. This is hard. But he sees the resurrection, the exaltation, the glorification. So that's why he says, and Jesus' heart was troubled. And then he moves right on. And then, but by no means do I want you to think that John is saying it was insignificant. His suffering was not insignificant. As a matter of fact, in spite of it all, in spite of, do you guys understand that it wasn't pollen that killed Jesus? It wasn't a mountain. It wasn't a tree. It was people and their wicked ways. So, for Jesus, in that garden, he stands and he faces Jerusalem and walks. Nothing deters him. Not the disappointment of his apostles when they don't understand and they seem to fail. Not the meanness of people. Not the government of his time. Nothing gets in his way. Confident trust and obedience to the Father. And Jesus will say, where I am, my disciple must be. He's not talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about following in his very footsteps. You and I must exhibit the same devotion and love, and we are not to be detoured. You see, because nowadays we have Christians that move into despair and great disappointment and they're unhappy. And it's because they do not understand what it is that Jesus promised. Well, if I become a baptized Christian, I shouldn't have cancer and I shouldn't have my marriage fail and I shouldn't have financial problems. That is not in the scriptures. You see, they, come, they become disheartened, they become angry. Oh, and the church this, and the priest didn't do this. You and I as baptized Christians are not to be detoured by anything. We are to remain faithful as a disciple. This is what Jesus ultimately means in the gospel we hear today. Where my servant, where I am, my servant may be. He's talking about these ways. To see is to walk in his ways. No more excuses. Well, this happened, and the government did this, and the church did that. Excuses. Jesus was not deterred. 
His disciples will not be deterred after you, and we are not to be either. We have to remember what it was that he promised. My friends, the, um, John sees the suffering, which was necessary and horrible, but uh, he sees right through this, right to the glory and, and exaltation of Jesus Christ. And uh, he presents Jesus. So what am I supposed to do? Ask my father to change his plans? What's not in the scriptures, but with your grace? Am I supposed to ask my father to change his plans? You mean like you guys do? You mean like they did in the desert? No. He said, is it not for this reason that I have come? So that all things may be reconciled. All the things of this world, Jesus reconciles them in his resurrection. All of that is equalized. All of that is reconciled in the resurrection. He will make all things right in that time. Until then, we walk in faith and we love as he loved. St. Paul speaks a, a great deal about that in Romans. Oh, nobody anything but love. My friends, Jesus speaks of the hour to come. He's speaking about the Paschal mystery. And um, he also says uh, in the same gospel, uh, this is the time of judgment on the world. He said the ruler of this world, he's referring to Satan, is getting thrown out. And everyone and anyone who goes with, follows him, will be thrown out also. But he said, for you, it's a time of judgment. It is a time to make a decision. Either you believe in Jesus Christ or you do not. Either you will follow him or you will not. Either you will love him or you will not. You will either choose life eternal or you will not. It's a tough reading. Father Mark has his sense of humor and he jokes about it. But um, for John, there's this whole peace. Um, he keeps focused, if you will, on the main event. This. This is why he came. Jesus came that you may have eternal life. If you have happiness in this world, great. God does not want you to be unhappy. But he did not promise that this life now would be perfect. Only the one to come. And Christians get confused by this and they become disheartened and they move into despair and they grumble and complain. Friends, one of the reasons why I love John's gospel so much because of this high Christology, but because he stays focused on why Jesus came. He came because the Father sent him. Yes, because the Father sent him. He came uh, because of love. The Father's love. Friends, when you 
this worked last night, 8.30, could not, they weren't in a place to handle what I'm about to say. I'm going to give you a glimpse into your pastor and how he thinks and how he navigates this world. So I've been watching lately these series on TV called The Universe. And most of it goes flies right over my head because I don't understand. And some of the stuff kind of freaks me out, especially when they start talking about black holes. But they were talking about the Big Bang. 20 million years ago, everything, anything, all the matter that was, whatever it was, whatever was, was, all of it was condensed and tensed into a teeny little dot, no bigger than the size of the head of a needle. And when it got to be so tense, it exploded. You know what I did? Woo, that's my Lord and God. He did that. He did that. Now, if you, the crazy part is not that I think God did that, is that I'm talking to my television because I live alone. Oh, Jesus did that. Jesus did that. He did that. Out of love, he did that. God loved and he just made everything. What's, what's more plausible? That at some point, you can't even use time. Science, it's a theory. The theory is, is that whatever it was, and they don't know what it was, was this little teeny thing, and then it exploded, and it has not stopped moving since. It's been expanding. And as Mark McKibben said, expanding to where <laughs> and how far. Now, the only thing that freaked me out was they said, at some point, it's got to come back. And I was like, oh, I better be in heaven when that happens. <laughs> What's more hard to understand that God, out of love, created everything and it hasn't stopped? Or that something was really tense at some point? You can't even use time. That's only when we talk about it. We can't, at some point in time, there was no such thing as time. I'm bringing it up because, first of all, there's no tension between that theory. It's a theory. God did it. Exactly as I told my television, my Lord and Savior did all that. And he didn't stop. 2,021 years ago, the same love that created the whole universe became so concentrated and tense in a moment of time. And when it became so contained within him, as he said, I will draw it all into me, myself, that love exploded again. And it has not stopped either. And it was so powerful, not only did it move forward in time, but also backward in time. And that is why we see Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration, the saving power of Jesus Christ, the saving power of God and his love. For John, he wouldn't say the Big Bang Theory, but I will. The Big Bang Theory, one, 20 million years ago, 
Big Bang Theory 2 from the cross, the explosion of God's love again. Are there still hurricanes? Yes. Are there still earthquakes? Yes. Are there still wars? Yes. Uh, is there still hatred? Yes. Is there still cancer? Yes. So what did that change? Your heart. That made it possible for you to be with God forever. That's what changed. And that's why Jesus came. Do you believe these things? You don't have to follow everything I said, I know. Sometimes I worry that I share too much and you guys are, uh, but I can assure you that I've been, all seminarians before they become priests have to have a full psychological evaluation. So <laughs> the worst thing that the psychologist said was you have a very imaginative, active imagination, Mark. <laughs> but I'm sane. I hope these things, I share this with you to show you how Every day, the discipleship, to see, to know, to understand, to believe, it is just ingrained in everything that I do and say. It may be crazy that I talk to the TV. I don't have any problems with the Big Bang Theory because it was my Lord and Savior who did it. <laughs> no problem. No problems. I hope you come to know and understand do not let anything detour you. Stay on the mission. Stay on growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ because that and that alone is what gives eternal salvation. Amen? My dear friends in Christ, thank you for always being patient with me as I try to get and communicate what I know from the scriptures and the taught so that you may learn also from that. My friends, the very love that I spoke about, even jokingly, in the Big Bang Theory, and it happens, that love, that power happens every time we celebrate Mass. That same power that created all things, the universe, transforms bread and wine into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ out of love for you, that you may have eternal life. My friends, in the Scriptures, after everything that happened, they argued, and they said, it said, God said, I, God spoke. He said, I, I did glorify my name and I will. And the people argue, was that thunder? And then others said, it would sound like an angel. And Jesus says, God's not talking to me. He's talking to you. Remember, he said, it's not for my benefit, for yours. He's speaking. We miss that piece of the gospel too. God talks to you. You just have to open your heart to hear them. They did not understand. They did not recognize because their hearts were hardened against everything Jesus was saying and the very reason why he came. Let us not be like that. Jesus, in another way, says, My Father speaks to you all the time. Open your heart to him that you may hear, that you may see, that you may understand and come to believe.